Welcome to this Tooled Up Parenting Podcast. During the COVID-19 crisis, we are all cooped up with family, with young people, with our children, our teenagers and older family members. And I wanted to really collate what I consider to be some of the best evidence-based tips at this particular time that relate to family mental health and well-being. This is going to be a series of podcasts for parents uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. And like you, I've been bombarded by resources from many, many directions, the government, learning platforms, all sorts of resources. And to be honest, a lot of it can be quite overwhelming. So I really wanted to focus the mind on the things that really do matter that we can extract out of that material and really use and apply in family life. The very first thing that I would refer to is the concept of putting your own mask on first. And when I mean mask, I'm referring to the sort of the metaphor used on airplanes, where they advise us as parents to put our own masks on first, well, in an emergency. And I think when we transfer that metaphor to what's happening at the moment, In terms of mental health and well-being, it is critically important that we really do look after our own mental health and well-being, given that we are modeling how we respond to this particular crisis to our children. So never before has the saying, take one day at a time, meant so much. That's a very simple motto, but it's a very, very effective one. We know that parental mental health is highly correlated to children's. I know this is very, very hard, but if we can muster, you know, the resilience to get through the day and to be careful how we're modeling resilience to our children, it's a good place to begin. I would strongly advise us parents to have a journal or a diary or someone to talk to outside of the family home, obviously virtually to discuss the you know our adult worries and fears i think that's appropriate and i think it's important i also think that you should try and create boundary time for yourself either daily or within the week so you might make a sign for the door saying mommy's in the bath do not disturb or i'm reading a book for half an hour please do not come into the room etc cetera, etc cetera. So there are new rules that need to come into play during this emergency, and they may not be rules that would ordinarily be in place. And I think that's very, very important. This is a time period that will end at one point. And it's important that during this sort of emergency, we come up with strategies for improving, boosting and sustaining our own mental health and well-being. It's also important to remember in terms of being mentally tough, that is a very interesting concept that I've been doing some research into recently. And mental toughness might conjure up an image of some sort of macho person, but actually mental toughness is about being realistic. And that means sometimes you will not feel very enthusiastic about the day ahead, especially when it feels like Groundhog Day. Other days, you'll feel a bit more enthusiastic and other days you'll be able to give 100%. So do not be hard on yourself. Everyone is feeling that kind of peaks and troughs in mood 
at this particular time. So you are mentally tough if you manage to get out of bed in the morning and get out of those pajamas and have a shower and model that to your children. You are mentally tough if you're able to put a smile on your face when you're worried about things like food shopping or finances. I think to give yourself a pat on the back for recognizing your own resilience is very, very important. So when it comes to maintaining, looking after our children's well-being at this time, it is important that although many parents may find this very, very difficult, I think it is important to have some kind of routine. Now, that might look different in different houses, but to have a sense, it is a good idea for all of us to not be in our pajamas all day. I think it is because it sets the tone that the day can be and should be as constructive as we can get it to be at the particular time. So I think that it is important to have some idea, perhaps planned the night before, of a few things that will be the goal for the day. Now that might mean there might be some assigned learning that the school sets, that might be for a particular period, always better to try and do that I think in the morning or mid-morning and then there will be lunchtime every day and then there will be potentially some physical activity if your children are able to partake in that. I'm going to talk a little bit later on about the relationship between physical exercise and mood in adolescence and why that's so important. But having an idea of when you're going to eat, whose job is it to set the table that day, how much screen time are they going to have, all of those things need to be, I think, agreed upon perhaps a few days in advance. That may not work for your family, but in terms of setting the tone, you may need to be working during this period. And I think you need uninterrupted time to do that if you're working from home and teenagers need to know what they should be doing and that they have allocated time for different tasks. When you set a routine, if you set a routine, remember that it's very, very important to that your child has a voice in that. And secondly, when they do adhere to the routine, try and praise them for doing that. Recognize it's not easy to just get up and sit at your desk and do these things, but well done for doing it. Well done for being motivated today when yesterday you find it hard. So it's very important in close confinement with family members that we actually complement each other on how we are doing. And these are small steps. When I say set a routine, I am expecting a few things to get done. We can't replicate a school day in its intensity at home, nor should we try. It is very important that we try and assign time, may not be officially, but in terms of playing with our children, even if they are older teenagers, what should that play look like? Well, anything that they enjoy doing with you, anything where you can actually instigate some laughter, card games, board games, think of the things you might do at Christmas time, having a laugh together. What do they find funny? Can you help them to do something for you? So in terms of encouraging their self-esteem and boosting their mood, sometimes it's very important for teenagers to do something for us 
So, for example, asking them to coach you to do some exercise around the garden. When they become teacher and not student, amazing things can happen and they really enjoy it and they enjoy being in control of that timetable and they enjoy watching you try to be motivated and stay enthusiastic. So there's lots of things to do with our teenagers. But the main thing is to remember that that time together is a direct investment in their resilience. So valuing that connectedness to your children, hold on to it, nurture it and cultivate it. Also, it's very, very important to remember that we as families, whatever size your family unit looks like, or whatever, you know, whatever size it is, or whatever it looks like in terms of format, your family is a team. And teams need leaders. They need to have a sense of belonging to the team. Every team member needs to feel supported and motivated. But teams need to have team discussions about dynamics. Teams need to have discussions about strategy. And I think that sense of belongingness to your family as a team may be a fruitful approach during this period. That sense of belonging, that sense of connectedness and family identity are actually attributes of resilience. So they're very, very important. Equally, in terms of remembering boosting self-esteem, making our children feel better about the communities they live in, cultivating that sense of connectedness to others in a crisis is, again, a component in resilience. Don't let the opportunity pass to clap for the NHS with the rest of the street. Donate to charity. Talk to your children about the multiple ways you as a family can do your bit. There's a national call for adult volunteers that you can participate in and for children in the form of the I Will campaign, which is for children aged 10 to 13. You know, now is the time to model to our children. What does it mean to think of others, to give back when actually our own resources are under strain. So there's hundreds of things that you can do as a family to support your local community. We know that pupils are making masks in school, in DT department or at home uh, with teachers. We know that children are making rainbows and putting them on windows, writing to elderly people in homes. You know, there's a whole host of things that children and teenagers can do. In terms of family communication, I know this is a big topic of interest to you at the moment, getting along. And my advice is, well, try and work out where the flashpoints are in your family life. So it might be when everybody's hungry at five o'clock or nobody knows what's for dinner, or you're fed up because you always have to organize the dinners and nobody's, you know, doing their part or doing their chores around the house. But In every family, there will be flashpoints. It's a really good idea to notice what they are. You can get your children to help you and think about, like, where are we not getting along in this scenario? Who's not getting along? What can we do about it in a constructive way for this time period when we are stuck at home? And I think with teenagers, it's very important to try and hammer out a new agreement How do you do that? Well, you listen to everyone around the table. 
you try and stay as consistent as possible. You listen, you listen to points of view and you ask young people for their suggestions. Ask your teenagers to come up with some solutions that might aid their relationship with their sibling or that might make them feel better about you know the things that they're grumbling about in family life. Everyone should play a part in that family discussion. Now, I know that many discussions will be about things like screen time. So I wanted to just say very briefly, because I'll do a separate podcast on screen time, that this is not the time to minimize children's time on screen time. What does that mean? It means ordinarily two hours a day looking at a screen is probably sufficient. However, I have taken some very good advice from some top professors on this topic. And if your teenager is relying on social media to interact with their friends, if they're using Zoom to talk to their grandparents, it's all good. If they're gaming too much, that's a different issue. Just having a balanced approach is really, really important. We cannot be too punitive when they're on their computers speaking to their friends because they have no other social interaction with them at the moment. And we know that social support and friendships, supportive friendships, are good for children in terms of their resilience, mental health, and well being. So, my screen time advice during this period is to have some agreements in place around when they can go on it. As long as they have a balanced approach, they might be learning on it, they might be playing a little bit, but not six hours in a row of going on a game, etc. That's just not appropriate. So use your common sense in this particular way. Make sure your teenager is enjoying a balanced time. So a little bit of everything, a little bit of exercise, a little bit, you know, otherwise they shouldn't have access to some of those privileges at home. So try and have a balanced approach, exercise, good nutrition and good sleep patterns, helping around the house and having some fun time. It is the balance that matters when it comes to screen time. The other thing is I would very, very strongly advise you to have very good chats about digital hygiene. Your children should know that they are representing you online. They're representing themselves, their school. And it's very important and appropriate that they're careful about what they post. The same digital hygiene rules should come into play during this period of isolation. So they will be interacting with peers a lot more. And it's very important um, when they're using social media networks that they remain kind to their friends and not post material that would that's problematic. I think we all know what I'm talking about. So uh, I think that's my general advice. In terms of getting on with each other, again, if you've got a partner at home, uh, sometimes it can feel very difficult to get along when you're spending so much time together and our normal roles are disrupted. There's an amazing website I would recommend you look at called seeitdifferently.org. And there's just little video clips that show couples arguing and provide alternative ways to have the argument. And they're just so thought provoking. I would really recommend them. And they really encourage parents to think about 
another way of of expressing your feelings to your partner in front of your children. So the issue is that we try and minimize conflict in front of our children, that we try and establish rules and routines when they're not in earshot, and then we present as far as possible a united front of parent. That is ideal if you are uh, living at home with your partner. So it's just about taking time, all of us, to think about, wait a minute, do I really need to say this? Is it going to help or hinder? And those videos in seeitdifferently.org, they're just amazingly thought-provoking. Every time you come together, hopefully for a meal on a daily basis, that's an important thing to try and expect of your children that you come together for a meal every day if possible. One of the reasons why it's important, of course, is because it allows you to talk. And ideally, phones wouldn't be at the table and you can focus on little things that have gone well in the course of the day, trying to extract some of the positives that we can be grateful for. And this concept of gratitude is extremely important in resilience. So taking turns, referring to what went well that day, getting children into the habit of doing this as counterintuitive as it might feel during such a difficult period, it's a good idea to articulate any silver linings that you can come up with. And what does that mean? Well, as a family, we've worked out that my husband is saving four hours a day, avoiding a busy commute into London. We've got time for home improvements and we've all learned a great deal more about technology. So find those silver linings. Many of you are concerned about motivational levels with your teenagers in general, never mind our own motivational levels, which can really fluctuate during this time. But we know from the research evidence that goal setting is very, very good for teenagers' mental health. And goal setting can improve teen mood and reduce teenage depression. So have a a list of things that your child perhaps might, just a few things that they might aim for that week and, you know, help them create a plan to reach that goal and praise them every time they make some sort of incremental progression in relation to that goal and do it yourself, set your own goals and show them it can be hard but you're going to push through and you're going to try and achieve the goal of reading a book or listening to a book or running around the garden three times. It doesn't matter how small or big it is. It's just appropriate to set goals at this time because it is so beneficial to mental health. In terms of talking to your teenagers about the actual crisis, my big advice is If your teenager isn't interested in the news, I wouldn't really encourage it. The news is very, very depressing at the minute. It's full of body counts and death tolls and mortuaries, images of mortuaries. It's important to have a a, a watch their sort of diet in terms of what they're watching on TV. It may not be appropriate to watch that every day, especially if they're younger children. So be discerning in terms of what they're allowed to sort of see or watch if they're younger children, if they're older teens, you know, keep some measure 
of balance in terms of, you know, I would be trying hard to take them away from that media as far as I can and try and just make sure there's a lot of physical activity going on and as much distraction as you can think about in family life. Now, we know that some parents are worried about the difference between low mood and depression in your teenagers, which is actually very, very difficult during this particular time. So I just wanted to say a couple of things. A few weeks ago, I interviewed this psychologist, Shirley Reynolds, who's professor of psychology, and we talked about this particular issue. And I just wanted to reassure you that she said um, a couple of things that were very, very interesting. She said, during this time of uncertainty, it's very important for all of us to connect with what's important to us And for young people, again, encouraging self-care, fitness, learning, thinking about the future, maintaining their relationships through social media. She interestingly said social media can really become their, their friend during this time and those social connections should be maintained. However, she did say that it's very, very important to distinguish between depression and low mood. Low mood is a symptom of depression, but it's not on its own the same as depression. And she said for a diagnosis of depression in young people to be made, at least one of the three needed to be present every single day for at least two weeks. Low mood, irritability, and not getting pleasure from usually pleasurable activities. Now, other symptoms can be present chronic sleep problems, change in appetite and excessive fatigue. Now, it's very difficult for us to listen to that and really assess how our teenagers are doing in terms of that dichotomy between low mood and depression at this particular time. But the best that we can do is really encourage our teenagers to jot down their feelings in a journal, in a diary, encourage as much creative expression make sure that they are eating well. Indeed, uh, Shirley Reynolds published a paper in the Journal of Nutrition just this week talking about blueberries and talking about how blueberries, diets rich in fruit and vegetables on the whole, have been associated with decreased risk of developing depressive disorders. And we know that sometimes the first onset of depression can be in adolescence. So this is a very good time when we have our teenagers at home with us as a captive audience, if you like, to focus on the pillars of well-being, sleep, diet, activity and purpose. So as varied a diet as you can give your teenager, remember you are investing in their mental health. We know that she in this in this lovely study on blueberries, they've noticed a decrease in depression amongst teenagers who may have been experiencing symptoms of depression over a four week period. So, again, diet can have a very interesting effect on depressive symptoms. We also know that sedentary behavior, sitting around, not doing anything can be associated with depressive symptoms in adolescence. So physical exercise matters. Any activity that gets your child to use their bodies and use their minds, it's all good at reducing sedentary behavior and increasing that kind of cognitive stimulation and reducing the risk of depression. We also know that 
having a purpose. And this goes back to goal setting, aiming for something. It doesn't matter if your child has a project to do, and it might be an online project where they want to raise money or they want to create a portfolio of their artwork on Instagram. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's something that they can aim for, that they're excited about and that you feel is appropriate for them to do. So having a sense of purpose, remember, you too can talk and share your goals, family goals. All of us can articulate those goals at this time and really think about strategies for reaching them. And it's a good time to talk about not reaching goals and how it feels and and showing them, modeling to them how we can push through, how we can sustain our enthusiasm about the goals that we set. So I hope that's useful. So the things to keep an eye on with your teenagers would certainly be around sleep, diet, activity and purpose, because those are the pillars of well-being as cited by the professor of psychology. If you are very concerned about your child's mental health, obviously the first port of call is always a GP. But secondly, Shirley Reynolds has two books that she's written, one for teenagers and one for their parents. So those resources are very important for parents who are very, very keen to read a little bit more potentially about those issues. So two books that she's authored, Am I Depressed and What Can I Do About It? That's a CBT self-guide and self-help guide for teenagers experiencing low mood and depression. And another one, Teenage Depression, a CBT guide for parents, help your child beat their low mood. But remember, most children, all of us will be experiencing fluctuating moods at this time. But I just mentioned those two resources, if that's something you really want to look into. So on the whole, how we manage as a family unit is something to really explore and try and improve over time. There are opportunities in this crisis to get along better. It's not easy, but we're being given a chance to really focus on family relationships And the next time I broadcast a podcast, it will be on family life relationships and in particular the sibling relationships. So I hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you. 